Well, there's three things that we said as we begin this, this topic about leading up to the kingdom age. There are three untils. Uh, in Luke chapter 21, 24, he said that Israel will be trodden down by the Gentiles. They will be dispersed and scattered and be trodden down by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles is ended. Now, last week when we talked about the Gentiles, you have to start out with the understanding that until the flood, there was no nations. Until the flood, everyone did as, he, as it was just individuals did as they thought in their own mind to do. There was no controls. There was no nations. After the flood, God ordained the human, human governments, and he created nations at the Tower of Babel when he created language groups for the different people to be scattered into language groups, and he gave the authority or he ordained the formation of human governments to institute capital punishment and to institute laws so that the society wouldn't be allowed to just be anarchist. And so he created human governments. But we understand and know that it started with the Tower of Babel. Who was behind the, the rebellion or the, re the, the coming together of the nations to build a tower? Satan. Okay, Satan is the god of this world. And all the nations and kingdoms of this world are under his domain or his authority, under God's sovereignty. But he, he, he controls the nations. And so out of those nations that came out of the Tower of Babel and all the language groups, God called out Abraham. And so God had his own nation in contrast to the nations. Okay? Now, as God called out his nation, then they came to a point of they were given the land, they were told to go in and conquer the land, and they were to, told to obey God and to live for God and to honor God. They didn't. They broke the commands. They broke the covenants. And so God has ordained that they would be punished. It first started with the captivity that they went into Babylon. And then as they continued in their state of rebellion and idolatry, then he gave a vision to Nebuchadnezzar first and then to Daniel about this coming four kingdoms that were going to be trotting down or destroying or overriding or ruling over Israel. And it began with Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. And then he said after that there would be the, the Persian king with, along with the Medes. The Medes and the Persians would be the second of those kingdoms. And then there would be the third kingdom, which would be the Grecian Empire, which would break down into four, four sections. And then out of that would come this ruler of Greek that was the terror that came into Jerusalem called Antiquus Epiphanes. Is that how you pronounce it? And he is a type of the final ruler of the times of the Gentiles, the Antichrist. And so then the fourth kingdom was Rome. And Rome began, and it became very strong, very powerful, and it dominated and controlled Jerusalem. So all these kingdoms are leading up to the final kingdom, which will be a revival of this strength of the Roman Empire with that last ruler called the Antichrist. Now we know that this, is, this has to happen, and if the, if the people of Israel, the, the, the Pharisees, the scribes, the scholars, had just understood and read their scriptures, they would know that the millennial kingdom or the king, the messianic age, could not come into place until this last ruler of the Gentile nations 
was in power. Because in Daniel chapter 7, when Daniel is given further information about these four kingdoms, and especially the last kingdom, then you understand that at the time of the coming of Christ to set up the kingdom for Israel, the Antichrist would be dominating the world. And so if you read that and you understood the scriptures, you would know that the Messiah could not come and conquer the world or conquer and save Israel until this ruler was in place. Because that's what's ordained, that's what's prophesied. Okay? So, as we progress, then you understand that the, the messianic kingdom or the kingdom age cannot start until the times of the Gentiles is fulfilled. And the times of the Gentiles cannot be fulfilled until the last ruler of the times of the Gentiles, which is the Antichrist, who is a, a Roman of Roman descent. He, he is the last Roman ruler until he is given the authority to dominate and rule the entire world for 42 months, the last three and a half years of the tribulation. Now, so, they, so the, the kingdom cannot come until that happens. Now, at the same time of this progression of the Roman Empire, or the, or the, the four kingdoms, God has got a plan for Israel. And so Daniel, in his book, he outlines the 70 weeks of Daniel, or 77s of years of Daniel, which is 490 years, that are ordained to bring about the kingdom age. Okay? And so the first 483 years, he says in Daniel chapter 9, uh, chapter 9 would go from the time that they were issued a decree to go and rebuild Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was destroyed and decimated by Nebuchadnezzar. And so Daniel's in captivity. He's reading the book of Jeremiah, and he sees that there's 70 years of the desolations of Jerusalem that God had promised. And so he is, he is reading about that. And so I think, Daniel, um, this happened in 586 B.C. when the last king of Israel, Zedekiah, was taken captive. His eyes were poked out, and he was taken to Babylon, and he died there in Babylon. But from, I, from 586 B.C. until today, there has not been a Jewish king on the throne in Jerusalem. So the times of the Gentiles began with that, this, that taking out the king of Israel and putting in other kings from the Gentile rule over Israel. Okay, so that began in 586 B.C., and then so... About 70 years later, or close to that, is when Daniel's life was coming to a close in five, I think, or somewhere around 520, 516 is when uh, his life was at close to the end of his time in, in, of living in Babylon. And he's praying about these 70 years of desolations of Jerusalem. And so the angel gives Daniel the decree in, in Daniel chapter 9 about the 70 weeks of, of years, or the 77s of years, that God is going to use to bring in the kingdom age. Instead of Daniel praying for, for Jerusalem to be restored and the, the Jews to be back in their land and be you know, prosperous in the land, God gave him a vision about the future and the 490 years that God was going to use to bring in the final kingdom that has been promised to Israel. So this began in 445 B.C., and from 445 B.C. until 32 A.D., uh, when Jesus rode down the street on the donkey, and they were saying, Hosanna to the king, that's when Messiah the prince was given to the Jews as presenting himself as this is the king of the Jews. Now, did they accept him and put him on the throne? 
No, the Jews rejected him and they were cut off. So when they were cut off in 32 AD, they have been, according to, uh, according to Luke 21, when Jesus makes the proclamation of the times of the Gentiles, he says, because of Israel's uh, desolation, he said, they will, they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive into all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now, what is the, what the thing that is going on today in Jerusalem is twofold. First of all, the vileness and the evil that is being perpetuated or perpetuated toward Israel is the same as it's been going on from Satan's domain all the way through. Satan hates God, hates God's people, hates God's program for his people. So this vileness and this evil that is being perpetuated toward Israel is a sign or a demonstration of Satan's hatred of God. So Satan hates God's people Israel. He hates God's church. So any church that is standing for God and, any, and the nation of Israel itself is always going to be under the, the hatred of Satan and those nations that he has control over. Okay? So, but if you read the book of Daniel and you understand that in the statue that was given to Nebuchadnezzar about these four kingdoms, at the time of the last stage of that fourth kingdom, Rome, the stage of the Antichrist, there's a stone that's cut not with human hands. It's not, in other words, he's not of human origin. He comes down and he crushes that Gentile kingdoms at the time of the end on the toes that represents the ten kings and the Antichrist that come to power at the very end. And he crushes that and he institutes the kingdom. So again, until the times of the Gentiles is fulfilled, then the Messiah is not going to come down and crush the Gentile kingdoms. And then Jesus said in Matthew 23, when he was talking to Israel, and this is important that you understand this, in Matthew 23, the Jews who rejected Jesus are now officially cut off. They're cut off from the ability to receive the kingdom at this time. So at the time of Jesus, after he has presented himself to be the Messiah, after he's done all the things that the Messiah was supposed to do, after he uh, claimed to be the Messiah, they rejected him and said he does what he does by the power of Satan. And so Jesus says in Matthew 23, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her often, I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate, for I say to you from now on, you shall not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So again, when, Jesus, when the Jews see Jesus again, it will be when he comes in the air, in Revelation 19, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he's coming to destroy the Antichrist and his armies, which is putting an end to the time of the Gentiles, and he's coming to deliver the Jews and to save the remnant for the kingdom. So that's what he's talking about. So this cannot happen, the kingdom cannot happen until this event happens. Now the 483 years that were ordained uh, for Israel had a pause after the Messiah, the Prince, was presented on Palm Sunday. 
It says so there's, there's 69 weeks until that time, and then it says two things are going to happen. One is the Messiah will be cut off. That Jesus will be crucified and resurrected, and he will then ascend back to heaven. We understand that happened. The second thing he says is that the, the people of the prince who is to come, which is the Antichrist, the people of the prince who is to come, the Romans, are going to destroy Jerusalem and the, and the temple. And, and that's what Jesus told the disciples when they asked about the temple. And he said, not one stone will be left upon another. And they say, when will this happen? And in Luke chapter 21, he says, when you see armies surrounding Israel, know that it's time to leave because it's going to be destroyed. And that happened in 70 AD. And so we know that the 70th week, the last seven years of the 490 years ordained for Israel has not happened. Because it cannot happen until Israel, as a nation, signs a covenant with this last ruler of the Gentile kingdoms. And Daniel 9.27 says, in the, the last week, at the beginning of the last week, the Antichrist will enter into a covenant with Israel. And then for seven years, God will use his seven years to bring Israel to their knees and to cry out for their Savior. And we will talk about the seven years when we get into the book of Revelation and we go into the details of that seven years. But the kingdom cannot happen until you see the last seven years of the times of the Gentiles. I mean, of the, of the 70 weeks of Daniel. Because God prophesied that it's the 70 weeks of, of Daniel, all 490 years that's going to take to usher in the time of righteousness. In fact, if you, if you read exactly what he says in that passage in chapter 9 of Daniel, he gives exactly what's going to take place during the 490 years. He says in verse 24 of Daniel 9, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make an atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. In other words, all of the prophecies that have been given to Israel about the coming kingdom and the coming king and the time of blessing and prosperity and peace in Israel, all those promises that have been given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to all the prophets, to David, to everyone that is involved in the Jewish heritage that God is going to restore and bring to a fulfillment is going to happen at the end of these 77s of years, at the end of this 490 years. We've had 483 years, and then we've had a pause. And the last seven years will not begin until the last ruler of the Roman Empire signs a covenant with Israel to allow them to practice temple worship and allow them to have security to do that. Now, what's going on today in Israel? could lead up to that very easily because the whole world is amassing against Israel. And someone needs to step in and allow Israel to be able to have a temple built and to have Israel allowed to have temple worship. The hatred against Israel is broad spread around the world. And someone needs to step up and allow this. And it has to be someone who is in power, who is in, has the power to do those things. Now, I, 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 it, takes a, it takes a major occurrence in history for this ten-kingdom system, this antichrist system, 
to take place where the whole world is under the same economic and the same political system. It's going to take something major. We saw when COVID happened, we saw the beginnings of that mindset. It's going to take the whole world coming together to, to, to tackle this thing. Well, something similar like that, and it could be something similar to what's going on in the Middle East. I mean, if the whole world is taking sides and they're going to either destroy Israel or they're going to protect Israel, and someone needs to step up and say, well, wait a minute, there's got to be a plan where we can survive as a world with Israel there. And so it could happen out of this. So I'm just saying, but it's going to happen. The, the messianic kingdom cannot come into place until this time frame begins and you have seven years. So it cannot take place for at least seven years plus. You have to have the seven years of the final 77s of years of Daniel fulfilled before the kingdom will begin. Does that make sense? Everybody understand that? That's pretty clear from Scripture. You, you would have thought the Jews would have picked up on that. But all they were looking for was temporarily deliverance from Rome and wanting to have a king that would give them everything they wanted. But they were not born of God and could not understand and see the reality of that. Okay, so when Jesus says in, Daniel, in Matthew 23 that Israel, you will not see me again until you acknowledge me as your Savior, as your King, as your Messiah. Until, until the nation, and it had to be a nation, it has to be a nation to sign a covenant. It has to be a nation that as a national entity, just like the national entity crucified Jesus, the Son of God, the national entity of Israel must acknowledge Jesus as their King and Messiah. Not just individual Jews, but nationally they have to acknowledge Jesus as their King and, and Messiah. So what's going to happen is during those seven years, that the last, the last three and a half years of that, when Satan is kicked out of heaven, and he no longer has access to go to, the, to, to heaven. He's kissed, kicked down to the earth, and he goes forth to destroy the people of Israel. His whole agenda from the midpoint of the tribulation to the end is to wipe out Israel off the map, along with any other believers that believe in Jesus Christ. And he's going to end up killing about two-thirds of the Jews. But that third that remains alive are going to come together. They're going to repent and they're calling on the name of the Lord. And he's going to come back and save them. And that will happen at the end. As a nation that's left, the remnant of the nation of Israel are going to call upon the name of the Lord to save them. And he's going to come back. But it cannot happen until we have first the seven years that's, that's still remaining in the 70 weeks of day. Okay? Now, there's one other entity that we need to talk about, which is the church. Okay? So you have... The, the Messianic kingdom cannot come into place until the times of Gentiles is over. It cannot come into place until Israel repents of their sin and calls upon the name of the Lord. And God is going to use that time period of the judgment of the Gentile nations to bring them to destruction or to their knees, and then they're going to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Now, what's happening in Israel today is bad, but what's going to happen during the seven years of tribulation is much worse. Jerusalem will be completely trodden down again by this Roman ruler, the Antichrist. He will come into the temple. He will stop the sacrifice at the midpoint. He will dominate Jerusalem, and the people in Jerusalem have to flee or they're going to be killed. That's, that's the bottom line. That's coming. So it's going to get worse. It's bad now, but it's going to get worse. Um, but we're not there yet because we don't have the Antichrist in place, and we don't have the covenant within, and we don't have the temple that's being built. But Okay, the last, the last until that we talked about is in Romans chapter 11 when it says 
that Israel, who is cut off, and we talk about cut off, what, what do we mean when we say Israel is cut off? Temporarily. Temporarily? Cut off from what, though? Cut off from being the chosen. Okay, so in Romans chapter 11, when it talks about that rich root of the olive tree and the natural branches and then the the wild branches that are grafted in, the natural branches are cut off from the root of the rich olive tree and the, the wild branches are grafted in. And we understand in that, that concept of chapters 9 through 11, he's talking about God's plan for Israel. They're cut off. When were they cut off? In, Rome, in Matthew chapter 12, when they committed the, abomin when they committed the, the uh, unpardonable sin, when they attributed to Jesus... I mean, they attributed his, his works to the devil and rejected him on the grounds that he was empowered by Satan. As a nation, they had already made their decision. They rejected him, and then he turned his attention to the apostles, and, to the, and he began to speak in parables because he was no longer presenting himself to be their king. He, as, as, as their Messiah, he was, he was getting prepared for the, what was to come after their rejection. So they're cut off. Now, what that means when they're cut off, it doesn't mean that they were cut off from the Abrahamic covenant. The Abraham covenant is an eternal covenant. The covenants and the promises that God made to Abraham are unconditional. They're forever. They're not cut off from that. So what were they cut off from? Well, from their, their, their being witnesses for God. They were cut off from the privilege that they, endured, that they enjoyed, the privilege and the responsibility for being representatives to the world of God. And God called them to be representatives of him to the rest of the world. Now, what did they do? They said, oh, we're special. Everybody else is dirty. And so instead of desiring to have God glorified in the world, they elevated themselves and made everybody else lower-class citizens. Right? So that's what they did. But here, now that they rejected their Messiah, they are cut off. And the wild branches of the Gentiles are grafted in. Now, when he says Gentiles, he's not talking about just Gentiles because we know that the graftedness of the church is Jew and Gentiles, but it's predominantly Gentile church, right? So it's not a Jewish people. It is a people that are not part of the Jewish uh, heritage or the Jewish nation. They're individual Jews that are, that are included in the church, but it's a Gentile church, and the church is grafted in. Okay, so when Jesus called his disciples and made them apostles and began the work of starting the church, it was that work of grafting in the wild branches to the rich fruit of the olive tree, which is to be God's witnesses of eternal life, the means of eternal life. And so when we look at that, what happened is, if you, if you go to, let's look at the Last Supper in Matthew and in Luke to get an idea of what's happening with the apostles at the time of the... Before we do that, before we do that, let's go back to Jeremiah real quickly. Let's go back to Jeremiah real quick before we go to the communion or to the Last Supper. Now, the promise to Israel of a kingdom and a blessed time is obvious all the way through the, all the, way through the Old Testament, Right? There's no question about that, that God has promised Israel a time. In Jeremiah chapter 30, he starts out in verse 1, talking about that time of restoration. And he says in verse 1, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, 
This is Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 1. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Write all the words which I have spoken to you in a book, for behold, days are coming. Now that phrase, days are coming, is a future look to the time of the Messianic kingdom. Okay? It's a look to that time. He said, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, Judah. The Lord says, I will also bring them back to the land which I gave to their forefathers, and they shall possess it. Now, then he goes into but. But, before that, there's going to be a time of terror. Verse 4, Now these are the words which the Lord spoke concerning Israel and concerning Judah. For thus says the Lord, I have heard a sound of terror, of dread, and there is no peace. Ask now and see if a male can give birth. Why do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a, child, as a woman in childbirth? And why have all faces turned pale? Alas, for that day is great. There is none like it. This is the time of Jacob's distress, but he will be saved from it. Before the last day of restoration, there's coming a day of terror and judgment. That's clear. Then he goes right on down, and after he says that, and it shall be, in verse 8, it shall come about on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off their neck and will tear off their bonds, and strangers shall no longer make them their slaves, and they will serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. So he starts out by saying, days are coming when I'm going to restore, but before that, there's going to be a time of terror and a time of Jacob's trouble, Jacob's distress. That's the time of the last two or three and a half years of the tribulation when two-thirds of Israel is going to die. But then I'm going to save them, and I'm going to restore David, their king. Okay? So going down to chapter 31. Or, or, no, at the end of, end of chapter 30, verse 23. Again, speaking of this time of judgment, this time of trouble. Verse 23, Behold, the tempest of the Lord, wrath has gone forth, is sweeping tempest. It will burst on the head of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has performed, until he has accomplished the intent of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand this. At that time, verse 30, chapter 31, verse 1, At that time, declares the Lord, I will be God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Okay, so he talks about, again, the fierce anger that's going to go forth. Now let's go to chapter... Uh, chapter 31, verse 27. Now here we have three different things that are going to take place at the time of the restoration of Israel. Now just look at it real closely. Verse 27. Behold, days are coming. That is always the phrase talking about the future restoration and the blessings of Israel. Days are coming when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and with the seed of beast and it will come about that that as I have watched over them to pluck up, to break down, to overthrow, destroy, and bring disaster, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. In those days they will not say again, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the women's teeth are on edge, but everyone will die for his own iniquity, and each man who eats sour grapes, his teeth will be set on edge. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I make a new covenant with the house of Israel. So first of all, he says he's going to restore their crops, their future, their prosperity, their food. They're going to be able to enjoy the fruit of their own labor. Okay? So there's going to be a time of prosperity in Israel. Days are coming. Prosperity. Let's go down to verse 38, and then we'll come back to verse 31. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, 
When the city shall be rebuilt for the Lord from the tower of Hanel to the corner gate, and the measuring line shall go forth straight ahead to the hill of Gareb, and then it will turn to Goa and the whole valley of the dead bodies and of the ashes of all the fields as far as the brook of Kindred, to the corner of the horse gate toward the east, and shall be holy to the Lord. It shall not be plucked up or overthrown anymore forever. So it talks about prosperity. It talks about the land. And if you go back to understanding the Abrahamic covenant, what was promised Abraham? He had the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were going to be a great nation. And they were also going to receive the land that God gave them as their inheritance. And both Abraham and his descendants would enjoy the land. So that means a resurrected Abraham has to be there at this time to enjoy the land that's coming during this prosperity. So at this time in Jeremiah 31, he talks about the days are coming when there's going to be peace and prosperity in the land and people are going to enjoy that. It's similar to what he said in Isaiah 65 when he says about this this time. He says in verse 19 of, of Isaiah 65, I will also rejoice in Jerusalem, be glad in my people. There will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping and the sound of crying. No longer will there be an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his days. For the youth will die at the age of 100 and the one who does not reach the age of 100 shall be thought accursed. But they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall also plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build another inhabit, nor shall they, they, they shall not plant another eat. For as the lifetime of a tree, so, so shall be the days of my people. And my chosen ones shall wear out the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they are the offspring of those blessed by the Lord and their descendants with them. Speaking of the time of the restoration of Israel during the Messianic kingdom. All right? So then he goes to Jeremiah 31, 31. He talks about the new covenant. He said, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Now, what are those days? He's referring back to the time of terror, the time prior to the restoration of Israel. Those days are the time of judgment and terror, and Jacob's distress, after those days, I will enter into a covenant with Israel. So when God enters into a covenant with Israel, when will it be? It will be what he says in Romans chapter 11. At the end of that passage, after he says that I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own estimates that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And thus all Israel will be saved, just as written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob, and this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So when is he going to establish this covenant in Jeremiah 31? When he returns. He takes away their sins. And he enters into them as their Lord and Savior and King. So that's when Jeremiah 31 covenant will be enacted is in the return of Jesus Christ. And it is for the remnant of the nation of Israel. Now, let's go to the Lord's Supper. Now, Jesus is speaking to the apostles who are Jews. Right? 
Matthew chapter 26. All right, these are Jews that Jesus is speaking to, and they are participating in what? What's the the Passover? Who is the Passover for? The Jews. It is a remembrance of how God delivered them from Egypt, right? So that's what they're celebrating. They're celebrating the Passover meal. But here, Jesus introduces a new subject to them. Verse 26, um, chapter 26 of Matthew. And while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after, he had, after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken up a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus is fixing to ascend into heaven after his crucifixion and his resurrection, and his, he's going to ascend into heaven. He will not observe a time of a meal with them again until he comes back and sets up the kingdom. That's what he says. Now, he said, um, we'll not drink of this fruit again until that time. Now, go to Luke's passage, Luke chapter 22. In verse 14, when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly, earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Again, he's talking about the Passover. He is a Jew, Jesus is a Jew, and he's eating the Passover with his Jewish apostles. Right? For I say unto you, say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Which means that the Passover will still be remembered by the Jews in the kingdom of God, right? Because it was a special time when God delivered them out of Egypt and set them up as a nation, gave them the Mosaic Covenant to be the laws of that nation and to govern that nation, and they're going to remember that forever as a memorial to God bringing them out of Egypt and setting them up as a nation. And he goes on, he says, And we had taken the cup and given thanks. He said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of, this, of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he, had, when he had taken some bread and he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you to do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant of my blood. But behold, the hand of the one betrayed me is with me on the table. So here he says that this cup that I am participating with you, is representing the blood of the new covenant. This is the new covenant of my blood. Now, this was the new covenant that was going to be inaugurated with Israel if they had, if they had received him as their Messiah. But since it's already been prophesied that they were not, this will be the new covenant of his blood that will be the, the basis for the new covenant of Israel in the future when they come in. Same covenant... But let's talk about the covenant. What is that covenant of his blood? Okay? So, if you go back to 1 Peter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, or verse 17, if you address his father, the one who partially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay upon the earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. 
For he was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through, whom, who through him are, being believer, are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So before the foundation of the world, God prepared the Son to be the Lamb that would come and die for the sins of the world. So we go to the Garden of Eden. God creates, the, the, in six days, he recreates the earth for man. He creates Adam and Eve. He places them in the garden, and he says, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or you will die. And they did, and they died, and they handed over the dominion to Satan, and he became the god of this world. And then God said to the, to the serpent that the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, there will be enmity, and he provided this understanding that there was coming a seed that would provide provision of eternal life. This was the same seed that was foreordained before the foundation of the world, the same Lamb of God, the same Son that was going to come to make provision for mankind. So then when God called out Abraham, what did he promise Abraham? That you're going to have a seed that's going to be the blessing to the world, the provision, the new covenant of his blood. Okay? So, now, Jesus is instructing his apostles to have understanding about what this means. So, go to Galatians chapter 3. What does it mean for us to be, as Gentiles, part of the blessing of Abraham? Does it mean we're part of the Abrahamic covenant? Are we Jews? No, we're not Jews. But there is a part of the Abrahamic covenant that is an extension of the eternal covenant before the foundation of the world that we are a part of. So he says there in, in, in Galatians chapter 3, it says in verse 6, Even so Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteous. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are the uh, faith who are the true sons of Abraham, or are the sons of Abraham. And then he goes on down there and he says, So then, verse 9, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. Now, in order, you go on down there, and he says in verse uh, 14, or 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, as it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree, in order that in Christ, Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So the blessings that flow from Abraham come from who? The seed. Of Abraham. What is this? Go down there. In verse, 9, in verse 16. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say and to seeds as referring to many, but rather one. And to your seed, that is Christ. What I'm saying is this. The law which came 400 years, 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. And so he goes on. He's talking about the promise to Abraham of a redemption through his seed that would also be the same redemption for the Gentiles. So when Jesus came and presented himself to die on the cross and told his disciples, this is the new covenant of my blood, he didn't say that the Gentiles were going to become partakers of Abraham's covenant or the Jeremiah covenant. He said the Gentiles are going to be partakers of the new covenant's blood, which is the same new covenant's blood that will be applied to the, to the Jews at the time of his coming and the fulfillment of Jeremiah 31. We are not part of Abraham's covenant 
as Jews. We are part of the blessings of Abraham that flow out of the seed of Abraham, the, the seed that provides eternal life. Now, so Jesus, so Jesus, uh, so Paul, reiterating what Jesus said to him in 1 Corinthians 11, when we talk about our observance of the Lord's Supper, what do we say? Paul said, for I received, in verse 23 of chapter 11, 1 Corinthians, what I received, I received from the Lord, that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are not celebrating the Abrahamic covenant. We're not celebrating the Jeremiah covenant. We're not celebrating the fact that we've become Jews. We're celebrating the fact that we have been entered into the new covenant's blood as believers in Christ, as the church. And the church will continue to meet and continue to observe the Lord's table until he comes again for his church. So, I would say that there is a connection between the new covenant's blood and the Jeremiah covenant. The Jews will receive that covenant in the future at the time of the coming of Christ. We have been granted the privilege of being in that covenant now because we have been brought into, we've been grafted into the position of being those that are given the responsibility to proclaim to the world the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's what he told the disciples when he was ascending into heaven in Acts chapter 1, when, he's, when they're still focused on bringing in the kingdom to Israel, and he says, no, I've got another plan for you, the church. He says, right, is it this time you're restoring the kingdom of Israel in Acts chapter 1, verse 6? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the time or the season which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. The command to the apostles who have been partakers of the new covenant of his blood is to preach the gospel about salvation that comes about because of the blood provision of Jesus Christ, the eternal life. We're to preach the gospel into the whole world, which is the great commission given to us in Matthew 28, until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. That is our mission. That is our ministry. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is talking about the difference between the new covenant of his blood, which we have now, and the old covenant of Moses. He says in verse 1 of chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians, are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do, or do we need as some letters of commendation to you or from you? You are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And such confidence we have through Christ toward God not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is, in, is from God, 
who, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now this covenant, or this ministry, it says in verse 9, comparing this ministry with the ministry of Moses, which was a ministry of condemnation, because the law condemns, and it is grace that gives life. In verse 9 it says, For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. Our ministry in, in, in carrying out the new covenant of his blood is to preach the gospel message of Jesus Christ because we have the Spirit of God within us empowering us, because that's what he said in Acts chapter 1, wait for the Spirit who will give you power to be my witnesses. And so that's what we're doing. We're waiting on the Spirit to give us power to be witnesses so that we can do the work that we've been called to do. Right? So the church has been granted this covenant of his blood to proclaim to the world the gospel of Jesus Christ until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. So we've been grafted in to that position and that responsibility of preaching the gospel. Any questions? So we've not been made partakers of the Abrahamic covenant. We've been not been made partakers of the Jeremiah 31 covenant. We are partakers of the new covenant's blood, which they will become partakers of at the time of Jesus' coming. So the new covenant's blood is the same as what's promised to Israel, but it's first given to us as the church without the connection of being Jewish people. We're not included in the other parts of the promises in Jeremiah 31 of the land and of the blessing of the nation. We are a spiritual priesthood, the bride of Christ. So we're not a Jewish entity, but we are going to be married to the Jewish king. Right? He's the bridegroom. We're the bride. So in the kingdom age, the bride of the bridegroom will, will reign with the bridegroom forever as his bride, not as his people Israel. The church never becomes Israel. It's a part of, it's the bride of Christ. We're a, speech, a spiritual priesthood, a spiritual nation. We're not the people of Israel. So there's a difference, but it's the same covenant that he's talking about the promises made to Abraham were always going to be fulfilled in the eternal Son of God, which is also the seed of Abraham, which is also the seed of the woman, and it came through Mary, who was a descendant of Abraham. Okay? Does that make sense? But don't make us a part of Israel. We are not here as Israeli people or the new Israel or any kind of covenant with Israel's covenants. We are people of God that are being brought into the new covenant of his blood, and we are to be his witnesses on earth until, that, until the fullness comes in. Okay, so it's very important that you understand that. And the reason is you cannot understand the unfolding of the second advent of Christ and how it plays out to the church and to Israel and to the nations unless you see them as different and distinct entities. God's program and plan for the church is different than God's program and plan for Israel. Now, throughout the church history, what has led to a lot of problems is a misunderstanding of that. People in the early part of the church, in the Roman Catholic Church, brought in the fact that the church was the new people of God, the new covenant people of God, the new Israel, and that God had transferred all the covenant promises to the church and taken away from Israel. 
not justifying that at all, that, that, that gave any reason for people to do what they did, but out of that came the Holocaust. If the Catholic Church had not had stood up against the Holocaust, it would not have happened to the degree it happened. But the reason they didn't stand up was because they believed Israel was done, that God had judged them, and they deserved what they got. And they didn't come to their rescue. Be careful, because that's what's going on in the world today. Is people are saying Israel desires to be dead. But the church should never say that. The church should always understand that God has a plan and a program for Israel, and God is going to bring Israel back and restore them, and we're going to be there with Jesus Christ at the time he does that. Because not only are we going to go up and, and, be, and meet the bridegroom in the air, and we're going to go up to heaven, we're also going to come back with him, and we're going to reign with him for the thousand years of the millennial kingdom. Now, it's 12 o'clock. I don't have time to go into what the lesson today is supposed to be about. And that is... <laughs> today's lesson is for the program of the church going forward. Y'all told me to slow down. I tried to slow down, so I couldn't get all of it. Okay, so next week, next week, we will, we, we, we've talked about the program for Israel, or God's promise to Israel, and how it's going to be fulfilled in the 70 weeks of Daniel, all that. We talked last week about God's plan for the Gentile kingdoms, and how that's going to be brought to an end at the time of the tribulation, the second coming of Christ. And now next week, I'm going to talk about God's program or plan for the church, how the church is going to be impacted by the second advent. All these are parts of the, all these entities, the, the Gentile kingdoms, the Jews, and the church, all have a reference to the second coming of Christ. But the problem in our churches today, in all the confusion about the timing and how this all works out, is because we mix those things and we don't understand that God has a program for the church, he has a program for Israel, and he has a program for the nations. And they will be fulfilled during that second advent of Christ, just like the first advent of Christ had multiple things about it. He was born of a virgin. He, he, was, he was raised in Nazareth. He was baptized as the son of God and began his earthly ministry. And he ministered on earth for three years, and then he presented himself as the Lamb of God to be slain, and he was crucified, and then he stayed 40 days later, and then he ascended into heaven. So the first advent of Christ, he was born, he lived, he ministered, he died, he was resurrected, he called out the apostles and started the church, and then he went back to heaven. In the second advent, he's coming for his bride to meet them in the air. He's coming to judge the nations in the world and, and bring judgment upon um, the world in such a way it's never seen before, and to bring Israel to its knees. And then he's going to destroy the times of Gentiles. At the end, he's going to come back and save Israel, and then there's going to be a 75-day preparation time for the startup of the kingdom age, and then we go into the kingdom. So all those things are part of the second advent of Jesus Christ, which are the events that lead up to the kingdom age.